Okay, welcome to the first round of the Northern Ireland South qualifying round. So, unfortunately, due to dropouts in both debates, uh, we only have we have two mock debates today. But even though all of the work has been put, it won't go to waste, and you will still be quizzed by the judges just as much as if you had an opposition. Sorry, I shouldn't sound so enthusiastic. I'm actually. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, give, these guys are going to love it. Um, I'm joking. So the first motion that we're putting forward today is we should permit the use of performance-enhancing drugs. Speaking for the motion, we have Cross and Passion College, and I will let them introduce themselves, starting with Orla. Can I stand up? If you want. If you want. Um, my name's Orla, and I'm studying at Cross and Passion College. Um, for A-level, I'm doing physics, maths, geography, and Irish. Um, I'm not sure what I want to study at university, but probably something with physics, and I would like to be an astronaut when I grow up. Okay, and second we have speaking Leisha. Um, uh, my name is Leisha Mathers and I'm also studying at Cross and Passion. Um, for A-level I am doing chemistry, biology, history and maths and I hope to do medicine, maybe at Queen's. Okay, for those who have never seen a Debate in Matters debate before, the format will be uh, each speaker will give have three minutes. I will knock on the table with 30 seconds left and I'll ask them to conclude their speech at the end of the three minutes. We have three excellent judges with us today as well. Uh, the judges, once we've had the speeches, we'll go to judges' questions, who will then ask questions to the speakers, and then we'll go out to the audience. The judges we have starting closest to me is Dr Sally Montgomery. Sally has a BSc in, zoo- in zoology and a PhD in ecological parasitology. Sally has a background in museum education, having been head of education at the Ulster Museum, and then was the project director, and then founding CEO for W5 Interactive Science Centre. Since 2012, Sally has been working with clients developing science projects, museums and science centres in Europe and the Middle East. Next along, we have Dr Rochelle O'Hara. Rochelle is a projects director at Sentinus, an organisation that delivers STEM uh, programmes in schools. Rochelle is a biomedical engineer with a PhD in orthopaedics and works in the medical device industry for over four years before she joined Sentinus. Rochelle won 15 awards during her times here at Queen's University for her presentation skills, the most prestigious of which was being named World Young Lecturer of the Year in South Africa in 2009. Rochelle's passion is encouraging more young females into engineering. And then furthest along, we have Joanne Mahaffey, is it? Mahaffey, my apologies. A programme manager and charter work inspiration in business in the community. <laughs> Joanne has been with business in the community for nine years and is a programme manager for the Charter Work Inspiration Programme. Funded by the Department of Education, the Charter Work Inspiration Programme commenced in 1999. It is an employer-led campaign which makes work experience more meaningful, relevant and inspiring for young people in Northern Ireland, bridging the gap between young people's expectations of the world and work and business expectations of new recruits. By providing inspirational work experience and careers activities that infuse and encourage young people, allowing them to make more informed career decisions. In 2011, she was awarded the Education Links Award by Bombardier. This award celebrates the achievements of individuals that supported Bombardier education outreach activities, helping them to create the next generation of aviation enthusiasts. In the past, Joanne has worked in Sentinus uh, and the Northern Ireland Business Education Partnership. So thank you to all three of our judges. Round of applause. Okay, so we'll kick off straight away with Ola, and you have three minutes. Mr Chairperson, members of the opposition, judges, members of the House, I ask the House this evening to permit me to begin with a little history. According to Oxford professor Carl Andrews, games of throwing and catching or contests in running, jumping and fighting are likely to be as old as humanity. Ways of assuring victory over your competitor are also found in the history books, in that 
the use of performance-enhancing drugs dates back to the 776 BC Olympics. What this signifies, ladies and gentlemen, is that from its very inception, humankind has been trying to run that one second quicker, jump that little bit higher, and throw that little bit further, searching for that age which might lead to success. And for many years, they found that age in performance-enhancing drugs, Mr Chairperson. Hoberman of the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine cites, there was no move to admonish doping in sports between 776 BC and 1933. 2,157 years. Undoubtedly, the opposition will argue that utilising performance-enhancing drugs afford athletes an unfair advantage, hence its current ban. But there already is an unfair advantage, enjoyed by athletes and supplied by science. Allow me to elaborate. Kenan Malik of the University of Surrey recognises that scientists already help athletes win. Cyclist Chris Boardman won his Olympic gold in Barcelona in 1992, sitting on a specially engineered machine. Today, in Rugby World Cup, players wear body-hugging shirts specifically designed to help evade tackles. In neither case did the scientific work in the labs devalue the triumph in the stadium. I believe it is difficult for proponents of the current drugs policy to assume the moral high ground. As it seems, athletes can use any technology, clothes, shoes, heart rate monitors, to help them beat their opponent, as long as this technology is put on the outside of the body. I find this ridiculous, Mr Chairperson. In fact, anyone arguing from an all-athletes-need-equal-footing perspective is going to have to go the whole way and have us all passing the baton barefoot and naked. (laughs) The WADA code declares a drug illegal if it is performance-enhancing, if it is a health risk, or if it violates the spirit of sport defined as a celebration of the human spirit, body and mind. Would legal and freely available safe drugs violate the spirit? I say no. There is a constant desire to seek out ways to improve performance in sport. So, what is the difference between increasing skill and performance by training or taking drugs? What of dietitians tampering with foods and additives to improve performance? What is fairer? The use of a team of sports specialists or a simple pill taken under medical supervision The only difference is, the last method is illegal by the order of the WADA, all while developments in performance-enhancing technologies are growing by the day. A case of double standards, undoubtedly. Thank you. Thank you for finishing on exactly 2 minutes 58, so I don't have to start shouting. (laughs) So, I'll now move to our second speaker, Leisha, to continue the case. Mr Chairperson, adjudicators, members of the opposition, members of the House. This evening, Orla has already elucidated for the House the scientific argument. My intention is to address the monetary issues inextricably embedded in the debate. I will enlighten you regarding the future of sport and convince the House that performance-enhancing drugs are a necessity to fuel this future. One undeniable reality is the role money plays in sporting success. How much does an Olympic gold medal cost? With a measly six grams of gold and a large chunk of silver, the answer is £450. In the Atlanta Games in 1996, the British team won a grand total of one medal. But surely that is okay. Everyone had a great time and it's not the winning, it's the taking part. Contrary to Pierre de Coubertin's participation maxim, another definition of the spirit of sport, Citius Altius Fortius, implies sport is about exploring and stretching the limits of human potential. Winning has acquired a stronger emphasis. 
The following year, national lottery funding was ejected directly into elite Olympic sports for the first time. The return was instant. In the Sydney game of of 2000, the British team won 11 golds. We spent an extra 165 million and got 10 more medals. So that's about 16.5 million a medal. Not the 450 pounds it cost to make, states Professor David Forrest, leading sports economist. Top of the 2012 medal table, the USA. Bottom of the table, Kazakhstan. I doubt any of us here tonight are shocked by this statistic. So what is the money being spent on? Technologies that enhance performance. Technologies inaccessible to the poor. Paradoxically, permitting drugs in sport could reduce economic discrimination. According to Professor Silvescu, Chair of Practical Ethics, Oxford, the cost of a hypoxic air machine and tent, which raises an athlete's PCV, is about $7,000. It is the illegal form that could level the playing field in this regard. Professor Forrest has identified four sports where there is no chance that poor countries can win a medal in. Equestrian, sailing, cycling and swimming. For poor countries, it's the difference between finishing on the podium and finishing nowhere. Where does the WADA's mantra of the spirit of sport stand now? Thank you. At this time, I would normally say sit back and relax, but can't really do that. So I'll move straight to judges' questions, and if we can start with Sally. Hola. Yeah. You have made the, the um, bold statement that, in, that putting technology on the outside of your body is fine, and that uh, cycling, etc., rugby with their, their shirt-hugging, body-hugging, body-hugging, jumpers um, help them. Mm-hmm. Is that true for all sports? I mean, it doesn't matter about the equipment outside the body. Um, well, like I wasn't saying. Sorry, we'll, we'll take all the questions from the three judges in a go, and then we'll come back to you in a moment. All right, okay. 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 So if I can move on to Rochelle. Um, a question for both of you: How, if you want to be for um, performance and enhancing drugs, how exactly are you going to regulate that? The reason why. Uh, World Health Organization bans it is for health risks because of kidney failure and other reasons so how are you going to go about regulating that that is a massive costly um, investigation to do that okay and Joanne okay in terms of the use of drugs and sport how are you going to the connotations of that in relation to young people and then thinking if it's okay for sport how is it okay for society in general Okay, so those are your three questions. You can answer those in whatever order you wish. And off you go. Um, just to answer your question, uh, Sally, um, was about the te- technology and the outside of the body. Well, I'm not saying that it, it is the same case in every sport. It's how society use it to be okay to be on the outside of the body, but not inside the body. And the, these technology, technological advances are helping the athletes to win. Like it's improving their times and their like. To, it gives them that edge over everyone else. So it's already an unfair advantage. Like if the, the technology wasn't there, everyone would be on a fair playing field. So what we're saying is, drugs could. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but in, in swimming, they actually banned the use of nanotechnology swimming costumes because it was giving people unfair advantages. So they said no to that. So there is a sport that has actually said 
yeah, but like not just in just the competition, but in training methods as well. There's so many like new equipment being used to try and improve the swimmer before the race, not just like in the race itself. Yes, but that's improving the body, the body as it is. So it's like me going to the gym. I'm pretty certain if I went to the gym every day, I wouldn't necessarily be in this shape. Um, so, uh, but I don't have to take drugs. That's entirely voluntary. Um, uh, and I'm using equipment to enhance what my genetics has given me. Okay. But in another example of swimming, I know it's not nanotechnology, but there's still methods that the people use in the race, like hair removal cream, things to make them more like aerodynamic in the water, and that's still trying to like seek for that age to. But everybody can do that. Everybody can go and take their hair removal stuff. So it's still a, pl- a fair playing field. But in cases of the technology and the equipment used before the training, like less economically developed countries don't have that technology to improve their training. And as you see, they, as Leisha said, the was the, the $7,000 spent on those their machines. And then you look at how much the drugs cost, it's a lot less. The bottom country that I think you mentioned, Leisha, which I think was Kazakhstan. Yeah, Kazakhstan. But most of the stan, well it depends where they are, um, they have um, access to, to money and it's a, it's a question of development and developing their unique sports. Now it's a more of a cultural issue, um, so some of the Arabian countries for example will not let women participate as much and I think that's a bigger issue that you, you know, it needs to be debated about access, not to technology, but to the ethical inclusion of um, females within sport. So it, 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 there is a development issue, um, but it's, I, I just just don't buy this fact that te- the, the technology is there to improve me. But it's not, it's not, yeah, anybody can go and buy the technology, they can follow their own, Regimes, but not everyone has that money to buy the technology. Like technology is using so expensive. Like those countries that are competing. Well, then okay. So perhaps we should just say no technology. You go and compete, uh, as in your 700 BC or whatever it was. Well, they're never. That's never going to happen because people are always trying to be better. And like, if we put a ban on technology, then people would be doing that illegally, just like they're doing the drugs illegally. Like, there's always going to be people who want to be better, and the technology is helping them be better, just like the drugs, the drugs as are. Athlete, as athletes are always trying to improve themselves and find that one more step, you know, to get better than their opponents. So, if ban on technology is, you know, your solution to the thing, they're going to keep, keep, um, keep going and using technologies illegally, like we will with drugs. But at the end of the day, the finance too, you need the finance to, to be better is to have the better drug, the better drug development to enhance, and that's going to be a cost, so there's still going to be the disadvantage if yeah. there's no money to use technology to develop the drugs. So. Yeah, but my example there, I use my speech, that hypoxic air machine, which you know increases an athlete's BCV, is the use of the air, um, the hypoxic air machine is 7,000 US dollars, and sending them to and like, an altitude training camp is far, far more. And the EPO drug was only around yeah, a thousand pound mark. But, but, but you know, Ethiopia, uh, for example, it, it lives in a high altitude. It's a high altitude country. So just by the very where where they live, they've got an advantage. But they still have to have training training people in them to help them with their um, with their training and like to change. They just can't go to a high altitude place, and that's going to change. Their yeah, but you're too, you're looking at it from a Western perspective. 
So all of the, the long distance runners are actually natural athletes who are brought up and live in high altitude countries. So um, why is it not um, fair that, that people who don't live in those countries use the equipment to actually gain the same advantage that they have naturally? Okay, can I get a quick response to that and then I want to move on to some of the other questions as well. Sorry, what was your point there? <laughs> My point is that nature has not given a, a level pay on, on altitude. So all we're saying is, well, you know, why not use a hypoxy chamber to actually create the same level playing field as if you have altitude training? But why not use the drugs to do that as well? Like, there's different, different methods. Because a drug, well, I'm going to leave my colleagues to argue. <laughs> so if you want to go on to either Rochelle's question on regulation or Joanne's on youth involvement. I'll take Joanne's on youth involvement first. So we're kind of in an athletes as role models perspective, kind of. Um, so as we know in the media, there's loads of athletes the minute that are taken from enhancing drugs illegally. And that would have an effect on our youth. At least if we legalise performance enhancing drugs and the athletes are showing them to take it in um, you know, a kind of environment that they're safely taking the drugs, so that's going to have a better effect on our youth as they're going to, if they're ever looking at drugs, they understand to take it under supervision. Safely in what sense? Safely. Um, if they're taking it illegally, athletes, if they're not medically kind of supervised, so there's no long-term damage in any of these sort of equipment. If it's then if it's illegal, there's a lot more risk, and it's the athletes' choice themselves if they're going to take the drugs. And when they're under medical supervision, they're getting advice from professionals who know more about the drugs. When it's banned, it's being done illegally, and it's a lot more dangerous to the athletes' health because they're taking it illegally rather than legally. And uh-huh. if it was so legally, the ban wasn't there. Yeah, back to our motion. If it was legalised, then under like medical supervision that could be taken under the medical um, field would be looking at the health risks and kind of minimising that so then athletes will be taking that under medical supervision. But is it not that they is it not that they're taking it in such high quantities to increase their performance to such high levels that is why they're having health issues if you have a one level playing field it's probably going to be at a low um, level of dosage to get the maximum enhancement of your um, performance is the maximum amount of intake and that's why you're getting health risks. So I would say if you're going to have it um, across the level playing field that everybody is taking the same amount of drugs, which can't happen because every single person is different, I'm smaller than some people, I maybe would need less, then people will illegally add on to that. They will. Well, um, it's kind of the regulation, so to improve the safety of the drugs, if we are legalising drugs, then um, hospitals and like the medicine field are going to look into drugs that like, are trying to look into the um, getting rid of the health risks of them drugs. So, um, and that's a huge expense to the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, but huge expense. As human beings, like in the future of sport, we're always looking for that one second quicker, and I think that... Um, the human, like, the human race are going to invest in that drugs because we want um, a more exciting future of sport. Mm-hmm. What happens if I don't want to take drugs mm-hmm. to compete in sport? It's your own choice. It's so your own choice. I, I have a choice to either get on a bike and really work hard or pop a pill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're going to be training the same anyway. If you're the Oh, so I need my bike still. Yeah. If you're if they're on drugs, they can only work if you're still having that maximum training. Drugs don't have an effect on the athlete if they don't do any training. But if Sally decides she doesn't want to take the drugs and everybody else are, 
then she's going to be forced into doing something she doesn't want to do. And so she's not giving her consent to do it. She's, she has to do it now. As an individual, it's your own choice whether you want to take the drugs or not. As an athlete, the athletes would take the choice whether they want to do it or not. But they'll be forced into taking yeah, it they're not because everybody else, they will be forced into taking it because everybody else is doing it and then they will need to do it to be at a level playing field. But that's their yeah. choice if they want to be at the level it's of everyone else. They're taking the choice out of it now. No, you're not. taking the choice out of it now because everybody else will be doing it. No, if everybody else is already doing it, it's just yeah. legal now. Yeah. <laughs> As a sports person, I would hit the comment. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move out to audience questions because that was quite fun. Um, and I think there's a lot of people in the audience now who are itching to get involved. Um, I will say this. We have a lot of literific people in the room. Um, please also get involved. Uh, we have other judges in the room. Please get involved. You don't have to be a pupil to ask a question. Uh, so I'm going to start with asking if anyone has hands to quest. Okay, go to start. Can I ask both of you how you conceived that you could possibly win the PR battle on, on legalising performance-enhancing drugs? when there's such a, a media storm currently around athletes and, and use of performance-enhancing drugs, there's already a bias from the media that this is not the right thing to do. Okay, so in the same way that we did with judges' questions, I'll have a batch of about three or four questions and then I'll give you guys a chance to ask. So, yeah. Um, I'm just wondering what you think um, the point of sport is. Like, we're talking about at the very elite level. And the question is not, we permit the use of performance-enhancing drugs in the Olympics. We're talking about sports, so we're talking about, you know, jumpers for goalposts and people going out for a run to better themselves and to lose a bit of weight and to feel okay about themselves. So I'm wondering where, at what point, it's, you think, and I think morally as well, there's an aspect to this, where morally it is okay to, say, use EPO microdoses to better yourself. Okay, and I'd remind everyone that we also have a best individual prize tonight, and our judges are watching for who is asking questions. So, any questions from people who aren't judges? <laughs> Come on, don't be afraid. Go on. No, I thought you were about to say something. Yeah? No? Um, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that um, because you're smaller, that the, the drugs are having an effect on you. How do you think that's going to come to play if, say, you are in the Olympics? Because drugs do affect everyone completely differently, and um, you're already training and you're already completely different disadvantages. Um, where do you think that would come into play? Come on, I want to take one more. Go on, go with some. Um, I'm just interested to know whether or not you would allow the use of performance enhancing drugs in academia. So can I take some Ritalin for my A-levels and uh, do much better than everyone else? Um, is there a parallel there? And what what are they them? already doing? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to clarify. <laughs> would you allow me to? I want to get at least one pupil to ask. Come on, RSA, you can't be terrified. Come on. None of you? <laughs> Okay, I'll come back in a moment or two. So I'll give you guys a couple minutes. You can answer those in whatever order you want, and you know, however you wish. So you have a few minutes. Um, just to answer your question about the back, um, was it, sorry, could you say it again? Just so I get the word number. Um, it was just about the fact that um, drugs are obviously going to affect the person in completely different ways. But you think you're going to be able to regulate that already? Like you've already got so many different factors. Um, how? How do you think that's going to come into play? Because women, short, tall, like... Um, I think it's important to realise that everyone, before drugs is even involved, is already different. There's already, like, natural athletes who are going to be better. They have fast twitch fibres, just they've got bigger oxygen capacity and stuff. So there's already, like, a natural unfair advantage before you put drugs into it. 
So, like, if you're saying that, you're going to say that everyone's going to have to be the same before drugs is involved. I suppose, but you are giving them a significantly different advantage, like... I'm not sure, but, um... Yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> Do you want to take one of the other questions? Okay, the PR battle. Well, um, kind of the storm, media storm about um, um, performance enhancing drugs at the minute have came from illegal performance enhancing drugs. And I think it's important to emphasise the fact that they're illegal. And that's why uh, the athletes are getting such bad press because they're going against the law and the violating the spirit of sport at the minute. And if we legalise performance enhancing drugs, it would uh, kind of lift this whole bad press around performance enhancing drugs. Um, do you not anticipate that there may be a media campaign that says that there shouldn't be any legalisation of performance-enhancing drugs and that it's not fair? Of course, but the media always like always are going to have two sides to the argument. There's always going to be some forms of media that are agreeing with it, some are disagreeing. Like, there's no way of stopping that in any case in life. So it's just going to have to be overcome if they were to be elected. Okay, and one of the other two questions. Um, sorry, what was your question again? Um, it was just really what do you think the, the point of sport is? Is it not about the kind of purity of it all? Is it not about attainment and potential is not about running under 10 seconds for 100 metres? My under 10, 10 seconds for 100 metres is completely different to Usain Bolt. So, <laughs> so I, I think that like the idea of sport as just to win medals and just as like a transactional thing, I think is like ultimately flawed. And that seems to be what your argument's based on. Well, um, I was kind of focusing on the Olympic kind of economic discrimination, but I know what you mean when the sport, but as an athlete, obviously I'm not a professional athlete, but as an athlete I always want to do the best I can do. And I've um, taken under regulation performance enhancing drugs. If you're trying to push for the next level, then I think it's kind of acceptable. And at what age? I mean, you brought in the school, so it does say sport. So are we talking about kids primary school yeah. running around sports day? At some point there has to be some sort of, because at some point we're trying to encourage young people to get into healthy lifestyles and where do you balance that? We're not saying that we're going to you know, let performance enhancing drugs at all, we're legalising the use of it under regulation, that's what we're trying to argue. So from sport in general, from no, well, there no, obviously there's going to be regulation so that there's not health risks. Obviously, if you're taking it too young, there's going to be health risks involved. So under, we're trying to legalise performance enhancing drugs using regulation so that it's health uh, healthy for the individual and there's no long-term health risks. Okay, and there was one more question as well. Oh, about the academics. <laughs> oh, well, the, the, our argument tonight is we should permit the use of performance-enhancing drugs in sport. So <laughs> there's not really any academics. But there's definitely a parallel there because yeah. there's not an equal playing field in academia either. Some people can afford private tutors and some people can't, so should they be allowed to take performance? But, and obviously if they were to legalise it in sport, there'd be questions over whether or not it should be legalised in other arenas and as well. The, I think the morality in all applies. So do you think, it, do you think in that example it would be immoral? to do that, so do you think that it's immoral to do it in sport? Well, if it gets legalised, then I'm sure everyone will want to take it out. Can I tell the people in Saudi Arabia? There was an incident at Queen's a few years ago where a student took the caffeine drug and um, high doses of caffeine, lack of sleep, he ended up having a heart attack. So you may be tempted. <laughs> For a, a bit of context, Sarah and I were both in a 
part of the team from one of the other schools. Uh, this that debate itself on academia was actually one of the national final debates about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fine. Yeah. Oh, so that's why okay. that's why it's being asked. So would um, you? Yeah, just yes or no? Would you? Well, honestly, okay. even though it's not part of the motion, I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you delight the sport, but not academia. Okay. <laughs> so. I want to try and get some questions that are from pupils. So there must be some pupils who want to put their hand up. What are we? Yes. Um, I'm just thinking, if you're going down the lines of allowing reg- regulated or not the wide performance housing drugs and sports, where do you draw the line in recreational drugs? I mean, surely drugs is drug is drug. I mean, for pharmaceutical companies, definitely they're heavily regulated. So this is the latest and slippery slope into recreational drug use for a large amount of society too. Can you give your name as well? The uh, Simon Brown. And anyone playing debating bingo will get a slippery slope for that one. And so, <laughs> any more questions? <laughs> any more questions? Yeah. <laughs> no? Okay, well, I'll let you answer that one then. Um, well, just really, it isn't really focused on what our motion is tonight. Um, you're talking about outside the drugs. Our motion is about performance enhancing drugs in sport alone. So that's all we're really talking about. <laughs> I know, where I'm coming from is that if you, as you say, you want to push for that, then mm-hmm. the next step really on the line is getting more legalisation for different types of drugs to make them safer too. So it is important for your response because as a byproduct of that, you are then going down that path and asking those questions too. Well, when the ban was lifted for caffeine, that's not what everyone said. Like, they didn't say, oh, everyone's going to be starting to do recreational drugs because, I mean, caffeine's a drug and it's legal and I don't think the same thing would happen with the performance of mm-hmm. drugs in sport. When did that happen? When did caffeine become legal? Um, it was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Caffeine? Caffeine. In sport, yeah. Before sport. Caffeine and sport. <laughs> to relax the athletes before they're... So up until a couple of years ago, they weren't allowed to have any caffeine when they were competing? Mm-hmm. Well, it was legal. Yeah. It was, it was banned in sport. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask for... <laughs> I'm going to ask for one final time if we've got any questions. Give these guys as much of a grilling as you can. Yeah, go on. We were talking about the uh, rich countries having like a team of scientists. Surely, surely the poorer uh, countries will just order in cheap drugs, take as many as possible, and couldn't that, couldn't that just lead to more and more debt due to drugs? Can we get your name for the debt? Um, we're, we're back to the kind of the point that we are legalising drugs under. Um, kind of under medical supervision so obviously the poor countries can't come in and can't just start taking loads of drugs you know to level plans of food it's going to be under regulation and everyone will be under the same regulation so the poorer countries which couldn't afford the uh, facilities for the regulation are once again being uh, victimized because no as i've as i've already made in my argument the cost of technologies and the costs of drugs are really not proportional they're completely different uh, can i yeah yeah go on one, one, one uh, last question i just wanted to know uh some of the drugs that you'll be talking about in sports uh, obviously do relate to the medical thing. Uh, I was wondering if you could make any comment on how the use of drugs in sports would also ramp up the, ramp up the price can we just for get, the scene in medical. Can we just get your name as well? It's Callum Weir. Okay. Last question before we go to submissions. Okay, sorry, can you repeat that again? Sorry. Uh, it was just about the fact that you've mentioned a lot of drugs that are used uh, medically. And I wanted to know uh, what you thought of the relationship between those two drugs and the fact that if we put it through for sporting events, then it will ramp up the price for medical uh, purposes as well. It's yeah. an ethical thing. Yeah, obviously the two drugs are going to be tailored differently, one for medical purposes and one for sport purposes. So 
the probably the drugs can't be compared, so there are going to be different prices for the different two different drugs. Okay, so I'm going to go to summation speeches. We'll go in the order that you spoke earlier on. So if I can ask Orla to start, you'll have one minute. I will bang on the table with 30 seconds left. To conclude this motion, I ask the House to look to the future of sport. Since 1988, only 10 men have ran under 9.8 seconds. Recent studies show humans will never be able to run faster than 9.4 seconds. This means that, in the future, records will have to be recorded in hundreds of seconds. I ask the House if they will enjoy sport when it hits this wall. Performance-enhancing drugs permits us to enjoy sports records being broken and athletes excelling to their best. Thank you. And to close the debate as a whole, please. We have heard much this evening about fairness. Nature is not fair, Mr Chairperson. The unequal distribution of the world's wealth is not fair. Far from being unfair, allowing safe and universal performance-enhancing drugs promotes equality. It levels the playing field. It literally opens doors to success for everyone of all walks of life. The human race is rapidly developing. We are adding 200,000 people to the planet every day or 140 people every minute, according to the WPB. With this surplus of new people, especially those in the developing countries, it is imperative for the future of sport to legalise performance-enhancing drugs. Legalising performance-enhancing drugs can help us as human beings take steps to build a more equal and fair world. Thank you. And a big thank you to both speakers. It's not easy when you don't have an opposition, so thank you for that. So we'll now go to quick judges' feedback. So we'll go to each judge individually to give a feedback. Normally we go with both sides, but again, we can't really do that. So we can start with Sally just for feedback. Well done. Do you actually believe in this? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you did really well to, to try and convince, convince us. Paula, um, uh, just be careful when... Your uh, Alicia is speaking because you had your head down, you were taking notes, and it's not very complimentary because you weren't listening to your colleague speaking. So just be careful of your body language so that you are um, being respectful. Um, the other aspect is that you both need to think about intonation. Uh, you, you spoke extremely clearly, um, very forcefully. You've both got really nice voices to listen to. But you might just think about timing. Um, Ola, you had a joke in yours. You might just have paused just a fraction to actually then deliver the punchline. Um, the audience got it, they laughed. Uh, but it just again, I thought your ability to deliver uh, numbers while glancing down was incredible. <laughs> I have to say, doing speeches, um, it's the numbers that always trip me up. Um, you know, I will drop a note, so a hundred thousand becomes a hundred million or whatever. So, um, I, well played to you. It was uh, very well done. Um, you both combated back to some extremely good questions from the audience. So, well done um, from Royal School of R. I thought your questions were all extremely good. Um, you you were convincing in that you didn't pause and go, oh god. <laughs> 
So that, that, was, that was also very well done. Um, I just think some of your arguments need to be rounded a little bit more to think about some of the, particularly the issues that were debated. And to me, it's not about the times, it's about the competition. That's, that's what makes good viewing. Okay, Michelle. Um, I, I think you both uh, presented very well. Like I couldn't say anything more positive than Sally already did. Um, I really would have loved if both of you had learnt your speeches. I've done so many presentations, 20 minute presentations with lots of numbers in them, and I learnt them. So I think if you can, try to learn your scripts because it means you can engage with every single person there in the audience. You can make eye-to-eye -eye contact. But just going forward, if you do anything in the future, do try to learn your speech. I think it would just put across an air of professionalism. Um, and if, whenever people are asking you questions, try to make a note of what they're asking because you had to ask quite a few times, can you repeat that question? I know you're trying to think of it, but even just write down a key word once you're looking at the person, it would really help you and make you feel a lot more confident whenever you're asking the question. That's it. Yeah, okay, well, they're pretty much stood on most of all the <laughs> In terms of eye contact, I think both are very good. I think, Oriel, at the start, you did just look straight at the back until you warmed up. And then you did make a point of looking at us as well as everybody else sitting there. Um, but I, I think both of your eye contact was good. Um, maybe having decided in advance if you could sort of have predicted the types of questions that people were going to come at you with rather than then. You know, you could have been fairly sure on, I would say, the majority of the questions you were going to be asked have maybe decided because you were going to take that to that. And I think that's maybe why you then had to ask for the next question to be repeated again. At one point you were great, you went back, but that's not what this topic's about, so you nearly should have parked that issue as if that was for another day and you didn't want to start debating. I think it might have been one of the boys from Wales who asked something, so I actually quite like the fact you said that's not for another issue, that's not what the topic of the day is about. But again, I think you did very well, and I wouldn't have been able to judge. So thank you very much to our judges as well. Normally we'd ask the judges to leave the room to make a deliberation. Um, there's not much to deliberate, unfortunately. Uh, so I think we'll move straight on to the second debate, which will be Western Museums should agree to repatriate cultural artefacts, and I'll hand over to Sarah. Before we vote, I'm trying to get we're actually running on schedule, so we might as well just take it up. I mean, I'll probably stop. It's not going to be drastically, unfortunately. That's all right. I mean, it would be.